Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, and the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. If you would stand with me as we read God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he also he said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Prophet Isaiah said, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you have been with us uh, for the last few weeks this Advent, you will know that we as a network of three churches, the Grace DC Network, have been uh, sharing this Advent series together. And last week we had Pastor Duke from Grace Meridian Hill, and this morning we are so pleased to have Pastor Glenn from downtown with us, who, uh, go ahead, y'all can show him some love. This is, uh, this is my brother from another mother. Um, I love him dearly. He has been such a gift to me personally. And the Lord has used him uh, very powerfully uh, in order to see this network uh, become what it is. And Lord willing, it's going to become even more than what it is now. And so we're grateful for the way the Lord has used this brother. And we're grateful for uh, the role that he's played uh, in the life of our network. And we're so glad to have him here this morning. So let's receive him in love as Thank he brings you, God's word to us. Thank Thanks you. for being here. Happy Advent. Great time being here with you all. Uh, that, that last song almost, almost got me trying. You know, I was, I'm not there yet, but don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. I move, but not in the way that I want to move. I, 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 I see a vision of myself. I'm not there yet. Um, anyway, well, I'm so grateful to be here with you. And uh, can we take a moment and pray? Father, we are so hungry and thirsty this morning. We live in the in-betweens, and we feel it. Uh, so many stories in this room, you know all of it. You are determined to meet us in our place of need. You are the living word. Come now and prove yourself 
In Christ's name, amen. Well, as Russ said, we've been spending the last couple weeks on the same five verses in the book of Revelation. And uh, those verses serve not only as the end to this prophecy, but really an end to the entire story of the Bible, the story of the world. And God gives us a vision, he gives us a glimpse of what we so desperately need to know that uh, there's an expiration date on the heartache, there's an expiration date on the sadness, there's an expiration date on the oppression, the justice. He gives us a vision that we might be able to keep going. And we've looked at this from a couple different angles, the desire for joy, uh, a desire for intimacy, and this morning I want to talk about the desire for permanence. Now that's not the most poetic word. Let me say this, that the pastors decided on these topics while I was away. And so when you're trying to find ways to make permanence work, I mean, that's three syllables at least, right? Right? Three syllables at least. Anyway, but that's okay. Um, so uh, this is the lay of the land. I don't think this will be news to you. Researchers tell us that the average American will switch residences at least 10 times. Okay? At least 10 times. It's got to be more in D.C. And uh, when any, anybody asks us the question, where are you from, uh, we don't know how to answer that, right? Because we're from a lot of different places. There's one writer that has said, the modern individual is almost wholly rootless, like a vagrant wandering the earth. Those who belong everywhere can also be said to belong nowhere. And when you add our moving with the moving of all these other people that are so important to us, that is a tremendous amount of impermanence, instability, right? A lot of transition. Let's move to work. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says that the average job will last 4.6 years, and the average worker will have at least 10 jobs before they're 40. And if you're a millennial, it'll be 12 to 15 jobs. Now, when you think that we spend a majority of our time at work, that's a lot of change. That's a lot of transition, and we feel it. And now let's move to our health. You're thinking, why did I come this morning? This, this guy's just taking us down lower and lower. Especially if you're around my age. When you get to health, you, you grab the pulpit a little bit, you know. Um, right? So what do we have here? Well... Whether it's someone in their 20s who's fit and finds out they've got a cancer diagnosis like a dear sister in my congregation recently did. Or you used to be young and you feel yourself getting older. Uh, the, the blues singer Bonnie Raitt, who won a Grammy for her song, Nick of Time, she has this lyric that I really, it's always caught my attention. I see my folks, they're getting old and I watch their bodies change. I know they see the same in me, and it makes us both feel strange. Or the meditation on mortality and death that came uh, classic rock style. 
Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. You know, Kerry Livgren, who wrote that song, said when he played it for the band, they were stunned into silence. And I think it's not only because of the beauty of the melody, I think they were just gripped with the sobriety of everything and what it means. And so here we're reminded that the achievements that we strive after and the possessions that we pine after and the people that we worry after, gone. They're gone, my friends. We have our lives and we're holding on to them and it is, it is a, a rope that's just slipping through our fingers. It's running through our hands. So the prophet Isaiah tells the truth when he says, all flesh is grass. How do you feel about the impermanence of your life? How do you deal with it? Now, there's a couple different approaches. The one approach that people try is to just pretend it's normal, to normalize it. Uh, this is what you find uh, in Hinduism, in Buddhism. In Buddhist philosophy, uh, there are three marks of existence, and one of them is impermanence. They'll say that everything is in transition, everything is inconstant, and we are bound to a cycle of destruction. Now, there's some truth to that, and we'll get to that. But basically, that's the good news. That's the good news. And the problem I have with that is I think it's trying to take what's abnormal and making it normal, right? It's, it's trying to, to cope with it some way. But we find ourselves in a place where it, we end up being nothing. In fact, in Buddhism, the self is called a non-self. Second way you might want to approach it is to just stave it off. Work so hard, right? Eat the right vegetables. Work out every day. Keep looking young. Keep thinking young. Keep a little Botox in your back pocket, right? Stave it off. Keep telling yourself it's not going to come. Or another way to do it is just give into it and numb yourself. This is what a lot of us do in our culture, right? We just pour ourselves into pleasure in such a way where we don't have to think about it. We don't have to deal with what's before us. And then I would say there's one other that we deal with, one other approach that actually gives us a little bit more hope, and that is we learn to see what God has given us. We learn to see what he has done in the person of his son that we might live into hope while we live in reality. And so what I want to do is just simply this. I want to look at how does the first coming of Christ secure permanence for us and how does the second coming of Christ establish that permanence. Let's just do that together. So first of all, the first advent secures permanence and stability that we long for. Now, the author, Jim Collins, uh, he interviewed a man named Admiral Jim Stockdale, and he was the highest-ranking POW in Vietnam. He was in what was called the Hanoi, Hanoi Hilton. And some of you probably know this. Collins asked him this well-known question, um, who didn't make it out? And he said, that's easy, the Admiral answered. That's easy, the optimists. Now, if you're an optimist and an idealist like me, 
well, I'm from Pittsburgh, so that's got to be tempered, you know. Uh, and I got a little Irish in me, so you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, but the optimist were the ones that said, we'll get out by Christmas. We'll get out by Easter. And they never got out. And then the admiral turned to him and said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. See, this is what I love about the Christian faith. On one hand, we have this, uh, this rock of belief that we will prevail. But at the same time, God walks us. This book, this book could be called Brutal Facts. You know, this, this book is our reality. In fact, if you look at other religious faiths and philosophies, the problem is they don't meet us in the everyday. They don't meet us where we're at. But this book is walking us through. In fact, it's ahead of you. It's already been in the suffering that you're going to face. So you have company already. You have somebody with you. And the fact is that in this life, we are pilgrims. We are sojourners. Now, you know in our network, we talk a lot about theology of place and commitment to place. And that is true. But we must never forget we are refugees. I spent this week doing some reading on testimonies of refugees. So many things that they experience in their psychology. But one is this feeling of uh, loss of identity and who I was in my former world. You know, that's gone. No one knows who I was. My family, no one knows what I did. I'm a refugee. Who am I? And not only this, vulnerability, weakness, violence, all these things. Well, the Bible says that Christians experience this. In Romans 8, Paul says that the creation is in bondage to decay. So Buddhism has something right, a little bit, you know, everything has a little bit of the truth, but a little bit of the truth can't get you home, you know. And along with that, the Apostle Paul would say that you and I are not immune to famine and persecution and distress. We only have to talk to the persecuted church. And then in 1 Corinthians, he says, outwardly, we are wasting away. And then we could just get to the desires, which, you know, in America, this is everything. We're all about this idea that if I can capture, if I can obtain, if I can get to the core desire of who I am, then that will be it. I will arrive. That will be saved. And then John, the author of this prophecy, said in another place, and the world is passing away along with its desires. I think one of the books that modern Americans could most benefit right now from the Bible is the book of Ecclesiastes. Because in it we have the teacher, likely King Solomon, who had this rare ability to have it all. He might be one of the only people that had it all. Right? And this is what he said. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Gardens and parks. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Then I considered all that my hands had done. Behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. It was impermanent. This is what he found, the guy that had everything. And we're told in the Bible that this is just the consequence of sin, of that original turning that all of us keep replaying, that original turning away from God, turning away from the permanent one, the rock, believing the lie of the enemy that we would live forever when we had life forever and we lost it. 
And what happens? I, you know, I, when I was in seminary, there was a, a pastor that preached, a professor that preached a sermon called U-Haul in the Bible. And he said, moving is a curse because the first thing Adam and Eve had to do after they sinned was move. You know, and we feel that every time we move, right? We're like, this is a curse. I don't want to have to do it. And then we bring our friends into the curse, right? Especially if you own a truck or you're big, right? I had a friend that was really big. He said, everybody treats me like a pickup truck. Hey, I'm moving. You want to come along? Oh, sure. I'm big. I, I would love to do that, right? I'm glad that's not me. So God, you know, we lose the garden, we lose the place of intimacy, and the place he meant for us to camp and to keep going. But what does he do in the first advent? He makes a way for us. I mean, consider this. Before uh, Jesus Christ, the God-man, took on flesh, he was the eternal son of God, and he lived in eternal, permanent, joyous communion with the Father and the Spirit. And yet he tells us by his own words, that he, 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 you know how he described it? It was glory. It was glorious. And yet the Godhead together decides, for our sake, that they will submit to impermanence. That he will come, the Son of God, and he will take on flesh. He will take a body on like ours. He will be subject to the health statistics that we talked about. I mean, imagine if the Son of God was just like this Captain America all the time, no matter what happened to him. You know, he just always bounced back. You know, I don't think it'd be much of a comfort. Now, that glorious body, he gives us a glimpse of, but he walked as we walked. And his life was on the run. I mean, Jesus was born in the equivalent of, you know, the old blues line, back of a Greyhound bus. He was born on the go, and as a toddler, they're on the go. And during his ministry, he said, I've got nowhere to lay my head. And here's the thing. You can look at all the things that are mentioned in Revelation 21, the mourning, the crying, the pain, the tears, and the death, that describes the life of Jesus Christ. This was him walking in the flesh, walking with us in permanence, and ultimately his flesh wasting away as he's tortured, as he's crucified, and he dies. He subjects himself to impermanence. For our sake, Pastor John Dunn said that Christmas Day and Good Friday are but the evening and morning of one and the same day. He was born to die. He was born to give his life. But why does he do it? Well, you can hear it from his own mouth, that you might have everlasting life, that you might have abundant life, that he might prepare a place for you, a permanent place that he might wipe every tear from your eye, that he might all things new, and that you and I might permanently, I think I broke that, Russ, permanently, there we go, permanently dwell in love, okay? So this is what God does in the first coming to secure permanence for us. But let's move to the second point. How does he establish it? And I want to mention four things here. First of all, the second advent will mean a permanent home for us, a permanent home. Uh, it, it has become common to talk about adoption, giving people their forever home. Now, I, you know, it's a sweet sentiment. It's a nice sentiment. I love what's happening, but the truth is it's not the forever home. You know, none of us get the forever home. 
I know we want it. Maybe we want, you know, we come back home and, and uh, you know, it, I remember, you know, you come back home to your old home if you've had a chance to live in it for years and years, or maybe your grandparents' home, and it changes. And you see it getting older, and you see them getting older, and you so want it not to be that way. I want it to be the home of when I was six or seven or eight. It's not that home. Why? Because John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, there's a little bit of a debate here by theologians. Does that mean, like, all of this stuff is just going to go away? Or is it going to be renovated? And it's more likely the second. Because when you go in the New Testament and you hear, for instance, in Peter talking about the earth and heavens will be subject to fire, that images this idea of judgment. So what it's saying is that God will judge everything that's evil and sad in this earth and in the heavens. And then he will renew what's remaining. As Jesus said, behold, all things are new. And so as one uh, pastor friend of mine likes to say, it will be like the Garden of Eden on steroids. You know, it'll be the place that you and I long for, the permanent home. The second advent brings us to our true and forever home. I remember once, several years ago, I was um, in an airport. And uh, before me was um, a young soldier and his wife. And, you know, the crowds are all rushing by. You know what it's like. The chaos is rushing by. And the intercom's just saying, you know, last boarding, last boarding. And she just could not let him go. She could not let him go. She just kept holding him. Right? This longing that, you know, it's going to stay. My home's going to stay. You have not been duped into wanting that longing. That longing is real in your heart. And it's this gospel that gives it to you. That place. So not only a permanent home, permanent shalom. Now, it talks about the sea being gone, and Pastor Russ addressed this in his sermon. You know, uh, the church fathers, uh, Augustine and Andrew of Caesarea, say that the sea really means turbulence and unsettledness of life. That's what it represents. The sea in the Bible is an image for chaos. So, you know, it's, it's not as if you're not going to be able to enjoy the beautiful ocean on the new heavens and the new earth. But God will take away. It will be shalom. Shalom means communal peace in every direction you can think of. It'll be that place that you and I need and hunger for. Villagers that hear the tramping of boots of soldiers that are coming. That will be no more. Right? The night being split by sirens. That will be no more. Going home to my you know, my family and so long and wanting there to be shalom, but all of a sudden, you know, this, you know, 20-year-old conflict that just comes up again, that will be no more. Nights where I can't get to sleep because I'm tossing and turning, and by the way, the Bible says God counts our tossings and turning. And imagine if we, you know, we get the Fitbit. Imagine if we got that information in the morning, right? You tossed and turned, you know, 304 times last night. But also the shalom means justice and righteousness. Listen to what Peter says. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. And that means not only protection from injustice in the future, but it means healing of injustice from the past. And this is, I think, something that we need to remind ourselves more and more, that when we get to that place, 
in that great healing service that the great physician conducts, whatever injustice you have suffered, he will heal it as if it was never there before. Whatever oppression that you suffered, whatever thing. So here's what God does. He carries with us our aching hearts throughout life, and then he heals them. He mends them in newness of life. Thirdly, and I got four, permanent satisfaction. You see this reference of the bride, right? In two chapters early, there's the great wedding feast of the Lamb. I love weddings. I think weddings are one of the best uh, modern illustrations of the Christian gospel. You know, weddings, it, I'll tell you, if you're a preacher, you got to mess up really bad to mess up a wedding, right? 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 At the very least, you, you just got to get up there and say, you know, God's the groom, we're the bride, and there's a big feast, and that's all you got to really say because every the, the wedding service will take it, the, the rest of it, right? Everybody will just see it. They see the beauty of the bride. They hear the toasts, all that wonderful thing. The best wedding you've ever been to, it pales. Pales into comparison. I mean, the prophet Isaiah says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. Now, this is not an exclusive. This isn't like being in D.C. hoping you can get a table somewhere, and there's no way you can get a table. And this is people from the highways and the byways. Right? Sometimes when we have meals, we like to just uh, invite people that are like us. Sometimes we ought to just set up a bunch of mirrors and invite nobody and we'd just be there. You know, there I am again. You know, that's a funny joke. That's a joke I would tell. Right? But God calls us in hosp hospitality to invite people that aren't like us so we might be complete. So the table will be complete. Make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. These are images of fair. Of fair. You know, um, Thanksgiving or maybe barbecue, maybe there's this meal that you really look forward to, right? And you're planning, in fact, you think beforehand, I really got to get prepared for this meal, you know, because I want to eat to the maximum ability of this meal. But even, you know, if you spend a couple days preparing, like, I'm only going to eat this much, I'm going to make sure my reserve tank's working properly, all this different stuff, the bottom line is we max out, right? We can't do it. And the new heavens and the new earth, I don't know how it works. Maybe we'll be more disciplined eating. Maybe we'll eat like swine. I don't know. But the bottom is, is we won't max out. It's going to be a feast that goes forever and ever. We're told in the Psalms, I love this, Eternal pleasures are at your right hand. If you are somewhere here, if you're someone here addicted to pleasure, you know, what I'm asking is you just to, to, to take a step toward God and his pleasure. I, I, I'm, I'm someone, man, I love the tangible things of life. You know, I, I, love the, I love the smell of the leaves. I love the taste of food, right? I love the earthly things. You know, take a step toward the pleasures of God. That's how we begin. It's not just saying no. We take in a different pleasure, an eternal pleasure. And then lastly, permanent intimacy. And this is something Pastor Duke gave to us. The second advent will usher out chronic loneliness and bring in eternal intimacy. And I don't care, you know, we're all lonely. You could be married and have five kids around the table but you're not going to avoid moments of loneliness, right? Whoever it is, we're all aching for this time 
And there's this beautiful verse in 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul talks about, rather, uh, yeah, Paul talks about the second advent. Listen to what he says. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And this is the line. And so we will always be with the Lord. We'll always be with the Lord. What does that mean? I'm always with the Father that I longed for. I'm always with the friend-to-friend face, right, that I've longed for. I'm always with the elder brother. I'm always with my lover. I'm always with my king. I'm always with the greatest boss you could ever imagine. I'm, all, I'm, I'm always with the relationship of relationships, right? The source of relationships. And here I want to end with a final lyric. There's a little-known James Taylor song tucked away on his live CD. It's actually like number 15. It's right in the middle. And it hides between a couple of the hits, so you pass right over them. And it's a song called New Hymn. Anybody ever heard of it? New Hymn. This guy has, I know, because he's, he's a JT fan. That's James Taylor. Uh, yeah, that's James Taylor. Uh, you know, listen, I like Justin Timberlake, but let's let, let, let's give it. Is there a newer one than that? Because I'm probably, I, but you know, let's give it 20 years. Let's give it 20 years. But anyway, this is what he says. It's really profound. I don't know out of where he was writing this, but. We hunt your face and long to trust that your hid mouth will say again, let there be light, a clear new day. Absolute and flame beyond us, seed and source of dark and day, maker whom we beg to be, our mother, father, comrade, mate. It's in our faith that that begging and longing comes to reality. Because this is our God. And this is what the second advent will usher in. And the good news is this, my friends. We are one day closer than we were yesterday, right? (laughs) And it's only going to get better. Let's pray. We thank you so much for sending the Son. We thank you, Father, Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for um, inhabiting all we are. We thank you that you rose from the grave, and we thank you for uh, the eternal life that we are nearer to now than we ever have been before. Give us strength in Christ's name. Amen.